for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. The choice is between normal, Natalie Cheel, or crazy. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning. Happy Thursday. We've been laughing in the studio. Uh, This is Open Line on today's News Talk. It's the 8th of February 2024. I'm Natalie Cheel. Rickman and Gemma Cooper are coming up and we've got guests Anthony Weber and John Mappin too. And if you've got a suggestion for a possible guest or there's a topic that we don't discuss that you'd like to talk about, then send us a suggestion. Um, There's a form on the TNT website and we'd like to hear about it. But I do need to start with the very sad news uh, this morning that Nestle is now axing the breakaway biscuit after 54 years. There seems no end of chocolate discontinuations. Paramac, Animal Bar, Galaxy Truffle, Dark Chocolate Bounty, topic but to name a few. And uh, yeah, it's very sad news and it seems like they want to remove all joy from our life. Or is it that uh, they want to keep our weight down instead. So going to uh, the next story that links in very well, an airline in Finland is to start weighing passengers to get a better estimate of their weight. Uh, They'll be weighing uh, uh, not just the passengers, but their luggage as a a combined weight. Uh, So Rick, it brings up the ethical debate. Should fatties be charged more for their tickets uh, or, or for their seats? Well, this story doesn't actually mention ticket prices. <clears throat> They're saying that it's no. to redistribute uh, weight within the airplane, uh, which I'm not yeah. buying, but that's what they're officially punting it out as. This is a voluntary yeah. thing, but people, 500 passengers have signed up to do it. So apparently you get weighed along with your luggage and <laughs> the uh, weight is kept secret only to the person performing the weighing. But no doubt about it. Uh, you know, this may be a little bit controversial, but if I, um, you know, six stone, which I'm not, by the way, uh, why should I pay the same amount of money as somebody that's 40 stone? They take up like two seats as well. They spill over the armrests. They're actually burdening the plane, costing more fuel. They have to work all these things out. So I actually don't have a problem that if you're bigger, you should pay more money to fly. Why should you get the same perks as someone that's small? <clears throat> and of course, children, you know, it's an average. They say that the average weight there's 88 kilograms. So that's factoring in really fat people and also small, skinny people as well. So I, I, I'm seeing this as a stepping stone towards uh, being charged per weight. Because let's face it, if you bring on an access bag into the cargo hold, an extra 23 kilogram suitcase, you're going to be charged a lot of money for that. A lot of people are carrying more than 23 kilograms of blubber when they get onto the plane and they're uh, as a passenger, but they're not charged for that either. So, you know, I wouldn't be completely against it. Uh, At least some levy that would be paid uh, if you're excess weight, but I can't see that uh, flying, no pun intended. I can't see people getting onto the scales and uh, whipping out the credit cards and being humiliated at the check-ins because they're a little bit portly, uh, should I say. So yeah, that's a stepping stone to that. Now, that's what I think. It it certainly is. Uh, It wasn't just uh, the thin air. Uh, There's a Korean airline that have already started to do it. Ryanair were talking about it. So we know they start by testing the waters and uh, soon uh, you could be paying more. But, you know, I've lost another three pounds this week. I'm only nine stone. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to worry. It's probably that I'll be okay in terms of the price. Uh, 
Yeah, just kind of for being mm-hmm. so healthy. But mm-hmm. uh, public opinion, it says on this one in 2010, 58% of Britons said they wanted overweight passengers to pay more to fly. In 2017, another poll uh, by Jetco said 90% of Britons believe overweight passengers should pay more. Uh, nearly 80% also said there should be plus size zones in the plane. And uh, mm. the only thing I would say about it is there is nothing worse if you're in a long haul flight sitting next mm-hmm. to someone who's really, really overweight and coming uh or you know all over onto your seat and you've got not enough room so in those situations yeah uh, you know i you should really pay a bit more i think and uh you know i don't care if that's politically correct or not but that's that's just how i feel i don't i don't want to be uh disturbed on my flight by somebody else's weight so you know maybe i'm rude but there you go but we need to take a quick break for now here on today's news talk and we'll introduce Gemma. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning, Gemma. What do we think? Do you think it's uh, ethical to be charging people more for uh, being slightly overweight? Well, I was listening to that and uh, my ears pricked up. I just thought data harvesting, you know, your weight is logged only to the person who's 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 taken the weight but where does that data go it's all voluntary to begin with but we know what hellish places airports have become in terms of biometric scanning um and the invasion on the human body i was just wondering you know how long before it's like compulsory and not voluntary uh, where does the data go and then do you need a blood test to go on a plane do you need your eyes scanned to go on a plane suddenly to me it looks a bit too much like biometric data harvesting that could just be me you know, it could also just be corporate greed because they're talking about getting rid of all those stealth taxes, aren't they? Like, you know, if you want to bring your golf clubs, sorry, that's an extra 50 quid or your one pound over 23 pounds or kilos, whatever the bag weight is, that's an extra 50 quid. They're all these stealth taxes, aren't they? And they're trying to get rid of them, a lot of the governments, because they're very unpopular. So let's ch- let's bring in the weight one, which is a very emotive issue. And a lot of people, as they know from public opinion, would agree with it. So I, I'm just worried about where it will lead, not where it is at the moment, but where it could lead. I actually wonder, Gemma, um, you know, moving on from what you've said, that they that they're doing it deliberately to put people off flying. So, yes, they're doing it to say voluntary to start with. But if they do bring in these charges, they don't want people flying, do they? So if suddenly they're going to say ticket prices is going to be based on your exact weight and your luggage, you know, people are if you're going to be saying, I don't know, 200, 300 pound more possibly uh, for extra luggage and extra weight, it's going to put people off, isn't it, Rick? It will, it will. And the thing is too, but I mean, I would be happy to pay a little bit extra because I'm a little bit heavier than you, for example. Happy to see you pay a little bit less. That seems to be only fair and right. But the thing is too, Natalie, they say that this is to balance the plane out. I've yet to see. Uh, the seats are usually allocated before you check in anyway. Most people pre-book their seats and I haven't seen any uh, people saying, okay, you move over there, you move over there and then they're, you know, they're recalibrating the plane. I, I do think it's a smokescreen uh, for more totalitarian measures like Gemma's outlined and that you're alluding yes, to as well. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but people are signing, listen, people are signing up for this voluntarily. So don't think that it's going to be a big push to get this through. People have already yeah. signed up to do this voluntarily and don't forget, you get scanned pretty much naked those big all body scanners when you go through now there's some pervert sitting in a room somewhere uh, leering over your oh, body you know it's a truth you know I shudder I pity the poor guy or woman that sees my uh, naked scan but that's maybe one of the drawbacks to that job but what I'm saying is they do that too they do that too so why not weigh-ins why not 
when you said it, I thought as well the plane, like like traveling and on with one with one uh, of the, its arms like going down, yeah. and then the, there's as the plane's moving, move, move, move. Quick. Or you've got we three really fat, you've got three really really fat people on the right side of the plane and twenty no. really skinny people all squeezed yeah. up. On quick. The We've got to keep. Quick. Or it comes in, it comes in like this. The land and the pilot says it's going to be difficult landing. Us, could the fat people move into the eye, please? Yeah. Yeah, you know, but yeah, anyway, that's, not yeah, that's not happening now, is it? That's why it doesn't look quite right. Uh, but Gemma, what story have we got for us this morning? Well, I mean, it, it, it continues the theme, the theme. It's only a theme of exclusion. You know, if you're too fat, you can't get on the plane unless you've got money to pay to get on the plane. This one's about uh, the British countryside, and it's quite an extraordinary headline that's out today. It's a huge report that's going to be acted on uh, and recommendations be put forward to government in the spring. But the report's out today, and it says that Britain's countryside is racist. It's racist. It's a racist place. It's a racist mm. colonial white space where people of color um, feel out of place. Now, this report has been done by a coalition group of 80, 80 different organizations, including, this should raise a few alarm bells, the WWF, um, the RSPCA, the National Trust here in the UK. They've all come under this umbrella called the Wildlife and Countryside Link. Um, and the, re the report, and this is unusual as well, I'd like to get your thoughts on this after I tell you the story. The report was a response to a call for evidence that there's a link between racism and climate change. Now that should also raise a few eyebrows, racism and climate change, the links. So this report comes out and it says that uh, the, the British countryside represents a racist and colonial legacy onto which the, the British kind of nature landscape is framed. Uh, it's overwhelmingly a white space and that white British values have been embedded into the design and management of UK green spaces and uh, society's expectations of how people will use them. I mean, basically, it's saying that the perception, and it is a perception from ethnic minorities, that it's whites only. Um, now, it wants this report uh, to make into law uh, a target areas of 15-minute accesses to nature from within everybody's home. So you walk out of your house, you've got you, you, 15 minutes, you're in a nice green space. That has echoes, of course, of 15-minute cities. This was actually going to be government policy last year, but it was quietly dropped. Um, and the report also claims that the UK's role in European colonial projects and pro processes uh, has driven the climate crisis. So there's a lot to unpick here because you're like, well, is it about racism in the country? Is it about climate change? Is it about town planning? Um, but this report seems to encompass all of those things. Um, and there have been studies done. Uh, University of Leicester has done a study um, into rural racism uh, as and the group Muslim Hikers uh, they came out very publicly last year and said they felt unwelcome in rural areas. Yeah. Um, but this is a, a difficult one because there's not one actual case study of, of somebody from an ethnic minority seemingly mentioned in this report. It's just an overarching set of recommendations. And reports like this can be very divisive and fuel the idea of, of white privilege and white guilt when, you know, it's only a few hundred years ago before the Industrial Revolution. Of course, the British countryside was white because Britain was white a few hundred years ago. And we lived off the land. We lived in the countryside. Uh, we were, that's how we we lived. We were a farming society, essentially still a feudal society. Um, and colonialism in the countryside, you could argue with this one, 
uh, in the extent that the rich exploit the poor, because a lot of rural areas in the UK, or they might be extremely beautiful, but there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of drug use. So this report seems to be making a lot of recommendations which don't bode well, 15-minute areas, enshrined in law, um, the link between racism and climate crisis, that that could take us down the climate road very easily. Um, and it's very divisive. So it's come out today and the recommendations are due out in the spring and we'll see what happens as a result. But it's, it's saying that the countryside as a whole, the countryside, trees, rocks, streams, mountains, is racist. What do we think, Rick? Uh, the countryside, <gasps> is oh, it possible that it can be racist? I wish. I wish I could get a job writing reports like this. You know, the countryside is racist. No, it's not. It's absolutely not racist. And Muslim hikers were meant to feel, made to feel unwelcome in the British countryside. Maybe, maybe they were in one place, but the countryside itself, the earth, does not differentiate between skin color, race, creed, sexual orientation, or whatever it happens to be, religious beliefs or the lack of them. So uh, I, I, I really am dumbfounded that there are groups, several groups, that have obviously got funding. They're not doing this for fun. Uh, they're probably having a chuckle while they're doing it, coining it all the way to the bank that they're being funded to make these studies. And listen, the country said, it depends on where you live. There aren't a lot of black people where I live. So when I go out walking, I don't actually see a lot of white people either. People tend to sit in their houses these days. You don't see kids out playing in the streets either. That doesn't mean the streets are racist. It just means there's maybe <laughs> been a shift. People are a little bit more sedentary. When I go to Africa, that's different. Guess what? I'm the only white person around. Loads of kids run up to me, poke at me, pull the hairs in my arms, call me Mzungu, Mzungu, white man, white man, follow me around, jumping up and down. I don't feel intimidated or racist because I'm in Africa and I'm a white guy. So, you know, I'm a little bit out of place. So in a rural area, if there's black people out hiking, yeah, it may be an uncommon sight rather than in the inner city, simply because there aren't a lot of black people in the area. But that's not racism. That's just good old fashioned demographics isn't it not or am i getting this of course, all wrong i was i was going to say exactly the same thing uh sometimes i think they forget this country is predominantly white therefore um that's just the way it is if you go walk in africa you're gonna no be noticed if you go walk somewhere else here and it's not and, and the community the rural community is 99 white that you know they might they might notice they might speak to you but not because they have an inherent a uh, problem with your skin color just because they're actually noticing a different color if the sky was suddenly green tomorrow i think we'd all go wow the sky's changed color or, or does that make us racist for the sky you know do you know what i mean are we not allowed to notice anything anymore and it goes I, back I as well yeah, I was, was going to say, say I could make a load of jokes, but I can't yeah. because uh, they, they would be taken the wrong way and I would probably get sacked. But yeah, uh, let's just say this. All people, I would say, are welcome in uh, the, the rural areas. Animals certainly don't differentiate. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow or green or blue. If you go up and uh, try and feed a horse some grass, it's going to take it off. He's not going to look at you going, I think he's a Muslim. I'm not going to eat grass from that guy. Or, you know, if you go to, a, a, you know, a, see a, an open farm, animals don't differentiate nature doesn't differentiate the sky doesn't differentiate trees water the beautiful things of life don't differentiate and of course there are racists out there but that's their problem they're they're that they're the problem not nature itself also, and we love nature don't we jim 
We do indeed. And I just think it's the problem with reports like this. Who commissioned this report? What kind of outcome did they want? Because it's very sinister to say, you know, oh, it's not just a link. It's racism and climate change. Oh, racism and climate change. Hang on a minute. Where did that come from? Also, this 15 minute thing that should raise the eyebrows right across the board that they want to enshrine it. And they're going to use a report like this to try and bring into legislation, you know, Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to be racist. It's a horrible, cruel, abhorrent way of thinking about the world. But, you know, if you so nobody would argue against the tenants, okay, if it combats racism, Racism, let's have these 15-minute zones. That plays into something bigger, as we know here on TNT. So I think the reports like this are commissioned. You get certain organizations like, you know, the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund for Nature. Uh, that mean, you know, three letters, you know, probably got great ties to the WEF, the WHO. Where does the funding come from for these type of reports to say these things, which means that when they bring in legislation, which is likely in the spring, off the back of this report, nobody challenges it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something to say about people's uh, relationship with themselves. Some people can find anything racist. So if they're going on the countryside uh, with their in their own mind thinking, oh, I'm going to see a white person today and I bet they're going to be racist towards me. I expect they'll find that they're racist. So there we go. Uh, But thank you, Gemma, for bringing that one to us. Uh, We've got Anthony Weber now um, after the break here on today's News Talk. TNT's Pervoy Morich. He details factually how... Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto, um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto, a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll, they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status. Uh, and there's just, you know, you, you look at the white papers, Moscow and Russia are all in on Agenda 2030, smart cities, algorithm ghetto, digital IDs. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Yes, indeed. Open line TNT, Thursday, the 8th of February, 2024. Very happy to be joined again by the one and only Tony Weber. Uh, Tony is a political commentator, an analyst, and a strategist, uh, freedom founder of uh, National Alliance, and also the MD of Wish Consulting. And Tony, uh, since the last time you came on, there's been seismic shifts in politics, even throughout here in the UK, the latest manifestation of which has been this uh, popcorn, popcorn, popular conservatism. Uh, I had a cursory glance of it earlier in the week, but when I dug a little bit further into it uh, yesterday, it seems to be uh, just a bashing session on uh, left-wingers. Uh, they seem to be having the left-wing firmly in their sights, and they're not really a challenging party to the Tories. They're just like, this is what Tories should be. What's your take on this one? 
Well, I, I think what you said is totally right. Uh, it may, the whole thing made me think of this old saying, if I can read it out, those whom the gods would destroy, they first make them mad. And I think this applies to this popcorn, um, this sort of new uh, venture, primarily by former Prime Minister Liz Truss. Uh, and you can think of all sorts of uh, connotations, um, but, you know, what does popcorn mean? It could mean uh, popular convict, popcorn. Um, it was, you know, there's about half a dozen different uh, versions. So you could hardly make it up if you wanted to make fun of your own new name sort of thing. So, uh, but what, what you know, they're on about this new popular conservatism, but uh, certainly uh, a, a variation of that when Liz trust was prime minister was an absolute disaster they didn't seem to think through anything they they were actually doing um Liz Truss has sort of denied this is uh an attempt for her to have a comeback but I think if we look at the broader issues there's about seven uh sort of right-wingish groups in the Conservative Party uh MPs all sort of saying they want to influence uh, the manifesto policies. Um, but the thing is, one of the, it really is bizarre because uh, th these people, particularly in the popcorn, uh, <laughs> uh, are saying, you know, they're criticizing government policy and we, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. But some of them were actually ministers, uh, some of them were actually former home. Uh, um, office ministers and you know people are saying this is what we should be doing on it on immigration and they were in charge you can't actually take it very seriously uh, at all and and um you know it, it's it's actually delusional um and i think it all goes back to uh the problems we had when uh there was a 2016 uh, EU referendum and the country voted to leave, um, that the, the parliament just couldn't move ahead uh, oh. and it resulted in there being a general election in December 2019 uh, with a big commitment by the then Boris Johnson, Prime Minister Boris Johnson to, to properly leave and uh, it resulted in the Brexit party uh, helping the Conservatives by uh, not standing against Conservative MPs. And they got an overwhelming majority uh, of 80 seats, uh, plus 48 on where they were before. Now, I think what went wrong there is they became, they lost a sense of reason. Uh, they took their election victory to mean that they had an election victory on all the conservative policies and principles and instead of focusing on uh properly leaving the eu which they did do in january but we know even now to this day uh even with the northern ireland uh settlement in terms of setting up the devolved assembly uh the eu issue regarding northern ireland is still not resolved so um it, it's it's been a, a sort of disaster but if you look at the whole uh, situation uh, with MPs uh, standing up as if they're the opposition and sort of saying the policies which should be 
taking place, um, they're delusional because the public knows that they've been in power for 13 years. And what have they been doing in that 13 years? Now, some of these MPs, when uh, legislation has gone through and when policies have been uh, implemented, they've sat back and said nothing. So it's no good them saying, oh, um, we, we didn't agree with it because they were elected MPs. They could have voted against these things. And that applies to so many uh, issues. Uh, one, of the, one of the prime ones was the uh, awful lockdown policies of Boris Johnson, which started in March 2020. Now, um, virtually all of the Conservative MPs voted for all of that, including the opposition as well. Um, but the, the end result was a cost to uh, the taxpayer of about £410 billion, which equates to £6,000 per uh, member of the population. So uh, here we are now coming up to whenever the general election will be in the next year, uh, and the, the Conservatives are sort of obviously unpopular, struggling uh, to find money for, for projects and so on. But they put the country in a huge, bigger debt than uh, they were before. Uh, and that's been disastrous. The amount of uh, interest the, the government is paying on a daily basis is just phenomenal. Um, but if you look at this sense of delusion um, and um, uh, the, this saying I, I sort of mentioned, it goes back many, many years, like those whom the gods would destroy, uh, to over 2,000, 2,500 years ago, as a Greek uh, background, but also many authors since then have used it, people like Agatha Christie in one of her novels. Uh, it was in a, a novel uh, in the 19th century called The Idiot, so that's what it's all about, people being uh, idiotic. And um, going back to uh, what the Conservatives have been doing, they've been bringing in lots of policies which they've got no mandate for whatsoever, uh, but they decided that because they had this election victory, which was really based on, uh, you know, uh, the EU issue, that they had a mandate to do all, all these other things. Now, one of the very key things uh, as to why people voted for the e to leave the EU was the issue of immigration, to curb immigration. Uh, and what's actually happened is, as we know, immigration has not been curbed. And the latest figures, we've been plus about 670,000 uh, sort of um, yep. immigration. Now, all that's happened is instead of having immigrants from the EU, which has gone down dramatically, we've had uh, a vast increase in immigrants from other countries. We've had a vast increase in all sorts of visa immigrants. Every category of immigrants, including the, the so-called boat people, have increased. So the, the it's been a disaster. But one of the things which hasn't really been talked about is there's a small group of people, some of them in this uh, popcorn group, uh, these MPs voted for Brexit, but their version was to not have EU immigrants, 
let's have immigrants from other countries. And I always remember when I was reporting on one of the Conservative Party conferences uh, that some of the audience were aghast listening to Jacob Rees-Mogg um, pushing forward his own version of immigration. And they saw that he wasn't as on the same wavelength as them sort of thing um well he's so, certainly he's sorry tony he's certainly a re-smog is certainly on his own uh individual wavelength there's no disputing that one at all we've got to take a real brief pause got to take a brief pause for some news headlines and maybe pick this up again when we come back at the other side so please stay tuned for more here on tnt today's news talk Here's the news. TNT Radio News. News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel has rejected a multi-stage, four-and-a-half-month-long ceasefire offered by Hamas, which would have ultimately ended the war. Victory is within reach. The UN Special Rapporteur on Torture has called on authorities in the UK to block Julian Assange's potential extradition to the US out of fear for his safety. And the US Senate has officially rejected the proposed $118 billion supposed border bill. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Okay, uh, so we're uh, still in conversation with Tony Weber here this morning. Tony, uh, what what strikes me as interesting here, uh, It's this is being punted that this uh, popcorn or pop conservatism is not a return to politics for uh, Liz Truss. However, uh, the BBC strap line for it this morning reads Liz Truss is back. The former PM has launched a campaign to galvanize Britain's secret conservatives, all in inverted commas. The one thing that I'm struck about in this, and I want to get your opinion on this one too, Natalie, is how bad is the conservative, what state is the conservative party in that some people are actually getting excited at the thought of Liz Truss being back behind a podium I, again, you know, the infamous unelected shortest serving PM in history. Some people were glad to see the back of her. Now it seems to be they're almost rolling the red carpet out for her, Nat. What do you make of that? I think it's a bit of a troll job, this popcorn, mm -hmm. uh, because the reason I say it is I, I had a look and I said, I thought Liz Truss popcorn when I saw what we were talking about. I didn't hear about popular uh, conservatives. Uh, I thought, it, you know, it was another lettuce story, but no, you know, moving it to popcorn. And then, of course, she is known as the most unpopular uh, conservative. Uh, therefore, that people are actually going, come on, popular Liz Truss popcorn. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not buying this. It seems a bit of a kind of illusion to me that they're giving some type of opposition. They're like, put someone as unpopular as they can to pretend that they're giving some opposition to this left wing agenda when really uh, no one's going to listen to it. That's kind of how I interpreted it anyway, Tony. Tony, is this yeah. a blip? Is this a blip just coming up to the mooted election? They reckon the election's going to happen around about May time. That's the word in the street. Obviously, it might not happen then, but <clears throat> the smart money would be on a May time election. Is this some kind of a diversionary tactic or something to get the focus off something else before the election? Because it's only what 12, 13 weeks away potentially. And all of a sudden you have trust back galvanizing secret conservatives in the popcorn movement. It all sounds a little bit uh, almost comical. Yes, I, I think it it is sort of exaggerated a little bit. It's um, to take our minds off other things. Um, and, of course, two of the other things which are ongoing at the moment are the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict, uh, which 
has cost the UK taxpayer over £12 billion so far. Uh, and the economic consequences for the UK in terms of increases in energy and general cost of living uh, rises has meant uh, a disaster for, for many, many people. Yet the government refuses to give the truth to the public about why they've had these rises. They they blame it on uh, Russia, whereas in fact Russia has always said they're happy to trade in every respect with the UK. Um, and I think this will all start to explode because we've got uh, Tucker Tarlson, who uh, apparently is going to be interviewing uh, President Putin of Russia uh, this evening. And uh, Tucker Carlson has already said that most of the mainstream media in the so-called West, uh, and, and in, in the UK in particular, has been telling a pack of lies about the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict. And uh, it'd be interesting to see if that sort of opens the gates to having a proper debate about it, because I maintain, and a lot of other people do, it's never been in the UK's interest to be involved in that conflict. Uh, it was pretty obvious that Russia was going to win, uh, and they seemed to be taking their time because they decided to concentrate on growing their economy and doing other things. And um, uh, it, 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 But in the meantime, the UK, and certainly um, the EU, if you look at the EU, they've just committed uh, the equivalent of about 54 billion uh, dollars uh, to the Ukraine. And who is suffering with, with all of that? It's the citizens of the Ukraine, of, of the EU. Um, so, uh, there's a, and then we've got the Israeli-Palestine uh, situation. Now, that's starting to cost uh, the UK public a lot of money uh, because we're, we're uh, paying for armaments uh, for our own military, which are being used. And, um, of course, there continue to be arms sent to uh, the government of Israel themselves. And the, like the Ukraine-Russian conflict, the Israel-Palestine one, uh, the government's decided to embark on policies which have got absolutely nil mandate from the public. And we, we've got a dreadful situation in the Middle East where um, the UK and the USA have been um, effect, well, bombing not just Yemen, but Lebanon, uh, Syria, Iraq, uh, on the Jordan border. And as has been rightly said in that area, it's a, an infringement of people's sovereignty. Um, and you've got uh, America, for instance, you've got uh, one or two bases in Iraq and uh, Syria. And those bases are, are there illegally the Iraqi government have asked the Americans to leave. The Syrian government have asked the Americans to leave. But I mean, it, it's it, if if any other country in the world planted a base in their country, uh, the Americans would be the first to sort of say they shouldn't be there. But what 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 we have got is, you know, going back to this sense of madness. Uh, we've got our governments. Uh, supporting these things without any mandate, and and they're all uh, pretty mad. On top of uh, all these other policies, you know, the net zero and the woke agenda, 
Uh, you know, there's a, there's a long list, um, but uh, they they have got the arrogance and the idiocy to think that they've got a mandate to do all of these things because um, they got this big, um, you know, majority. And I, I think this is why uh, a lot of the public are thinking, well, anyone but the Conservatives at the moment, even though even though Labour might actually be worse. Um, they want to punish the, 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 the Conservatives. And I think the only hope for the Conservatives is to find a new leader, because clearly Rishi Sunak has been a disaster, yeah. uh, as was Liz Truss, as was Boris Johnson, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and somewhere there's, there will be someone there in the ranks uh, if you remember, the they pulled child, the golden well, they child. Well, they pulled David Cameron out, they were, didn't they? So um, <laughs> yeah, they've dusted you know. him off and made him a lord and uh, gave him another cabinet position. Listen, it's a crazy time that we're in, no doubt about it. And you know, you've covered so much ground there in in and around what's happening in the Conservative Party. It's quite frankly bamboozling when you really start to pick it apart. <clears throat> excuse me, the way that you just have, you know, it shows you the layers and layers and the depths of what the shenanigans and skullduggery is that's currently going on within the Tory party. We've got to uh, stop now, actually, Tony. We're uh, due to take another break. Uh, massive appreciation uh, to you coming on again this morning and lending your views and uh, just speaking so frankly and so openly uh, here on TNT. It's much appreciated and hopefully we'll talk to you again sooner rather than later. We've got to take a little break as per right now, but we'll be back at the other side with more here on Open Line Live on TNT today's news. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. And I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife. 
with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. Thank you, listen. TNT. Oh, they're making me laugh in the studio again. Welcome back. Don't forget you can call in or get on our online chat. Uh, we've got more stories to cover now. And uh, this one from South Wales Fire Service. Mm. Uh, this is... Uh, I can't quite believe it. Uh, they, the government have had to take over the fire surface there because uh, of a sexual harassment probe. Uh, so it's going to have four commissioners uh, named from the government and it's got allegations of sexism and abusive behaviour. Uh, and the minister, Hen- Hannah B- B- Blyamp, I think it is, uh, said... Um, that it could put lives at risk. I thought, what awful stuff could this part, this fire department be doing that's putting lives at risk? Well, apparently the big problem is that uh, some of them there have decided to put sexualized images from the platform OnlyFans. So that is the main reason uh, that the government have to, had to take over this particular department. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that that seems to be the biggest problem. Uh, only fans and sexism. And that's apparently putting actual lives at risk, uh, Rick, from what I can make of it. Uh, so where are they putting this? On what website? Are they they're, they're appearing on OnlyFans or they're posting or images? Where, where are they posting these images? The report concluded the service tolerates firefighters posting sexualized images in their uniform on adult platform only fans so apparently that puts people's lives at risk <laughs> because they've gone and got some extra money uh by oh, posting right. on only so yeah and uh no it's a government matter this is rick you know, they couldn't just sack the people. Or no, no, they've had to take over uh, the whole Southwest Fire Service. The government have come in. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, they've given some other reasons here, but the main reason is only fans. But it is putting lives at risk. We 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 have to we have to admit that you know if you if you pose naked, you know yeah. that's, that that could stop stop you uh, doing your job to actually uh, put out a fire. Well, here's the thing, right? It absolutely does not interfere with your ability to do your job. So for them to, to say that's a reason for the clampdown is obviously bogus. Uh, it, they mightn't like it. It may be against their rules and regulations yeah. or against their internet use policy, whatever, you know, all that small print. I get that it might be breaching that, but to blame it or say that it could result in a loss of life, I don't know. The only thing I'm thinking is uh, somebody might get really hot at the thought of the <laughs> fireman coming out and rescuing them from a burning building. You could see Welsh women setting fire to their houses on the off chance that the only fans fireman comes out to douse the house down with water. And of course, the house could burn down and kill that person. I'm, I'm joking, of course, but no, it doesn't interfere with your ability to do the job. But I do understand that, uh, you know, for example, if we were doing stuff, you know, I don't even know if we have rules and regulations with TNT, but I would imagine we do, that if we were doing stuff that was really wacky, that yeah. could maybe cause my, damage my, to the reputation of the station. Can we, 
you know, we would we know. Do, by can we it. just ask Mike what the OnlyFans rule is? If I'm thinking about yeah. opening an account, does that mean I lose my job? Um, and yeah. does that mean mean I put like my lives at risk by doing it so? Might boost I don't know. numbers. Actually, Mike might be all for yeah. it. You know, it could spike up our figures dramatically. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe it could boost recruitment for the Welsh firefighting service. I don't know, but I do get that uh, it's like I used to work for the housing executive in Northern Ireland. Uh, we were told that coming up to elections that we couldn't be seen to be outwardly supporting any parties because of the neutrality of the organisation. You know, that sort of thing. And yeah. you have an internet use policy. You can't be online. For example, I was making uh, Twitter videos towards the end of my job there that was really slagging off the World Economic Forum. And the new chief executive of the housing executive was a member of the World Economic Forum. So I would have understood if I'd have been pulled to the side and said, you've got to stop doing that. And at that stage, I would have evaluated it. But I left anyway. So I get that there's a little gray area here, Natalie, but to blame it on our, or to say that it could risk lives and spending so much money putting these commissioners in here, I'm sure the fire service could have been doing with upgraded equipment, maybe yeah. uh, better that's uh, what I'm, terms that's and conditions, like you know, wasting more money. This is what this is what I mean. Um, yeah, it's not ideal, but is it really the end of the world? It says the move was welcomed by Welsh women's aides who praised the government's commitment to ensuring accountability and safeguarding within essential public services which exist to protect all of our communities. I'm really thinking if someone poses naked on OnlyFans, I really don't think that's really a protection issue, to mm -hmm. be honest. Um, no. You know, and and it also says uh, a deputy minister here says there's a big risk here that we've it's not a well thought out approach from the Welsh government that is uh, because so many people aren't happy with the government as it is and uh, a lot of people are not going to be happy that it's been taken over uh, the, the South uh, Wales Fire and Rescue Service. A lot of people have had enough of the Welsh government. They don't want them interfering in into more. Um, and, and like we said if it, if it, I don't think anyone would have an issue if it was, a, you know, there was a big report and it said there'd been hundreds of lives lost because they weren't doing their job properly. Yeah, mm -hmm. if that was the case i think everybody would be saying absolutely do an investigation but you know trying to make out you've uh you're not going to be able to save lives because somebody's posted some pictures on only fans is is a stretch by any stretch of the imagination and also uh i don't have the numbers here i don't have the figures but uh you know fire authority it's usually fire men you don't see many fire women out there Ironically, OnlyFans is deemed to be a like a female-dominated site where women go on there and you know peddle their words and lecherous men and you know log on and pay them money. This seems to be a flip side to that. Actually, I would imagine that if it's the Welsh Fire Authority, it would be mostly men using yeah. that site and women uh, leching after them. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a turning of the tables there. You don't hear much about that. You know, it's just about no. it's this, that, and the other. But it's a, I think it's a strange one. This is where the guys are seeing an opportunity to make a few quid off the women on OnlyFans instead of the women making the money off the men. So, you know, a little bit of balance in there too, a little bit of equality is no yeah. bad thing, is no, absolutely. I mean, they did say that they hadn't been doing enough to tackle false fire alarms and they didn't take on some advice uh, that had been brought from Grenfell Tower. Uh, but those were minor issues. The only fans issue is the real reason the government is taking over there. So, you know, it, it doesn't make much sense to me and it just seems more authoritarian. Uh, maybe uh, the government are hoping to take over the whole fire service in Wales mm -hmm. because it wouldn't surprise me with anything that the Welsh mm -hmm. government is doing.
No, the Welsh, uh, we, we're not surprised that the Welsh in any way, shape or form. I'm looking at the live chat. Mm. There's a few uh, funny comments in there. Little Carl said uh, she was thinking about uh, playing with matches all of a sudden and setting her chip pan on fire just to see uh, <laughs> who would pop out and douse those flames. So I don't advise that. We don't advise that, Carl. Uh, see if they get an OnlyFans model. Yeah, she might. She's she's playing the lottery. She's playing the house yeah. fire lottery on the off chance yep. she gets an OnlyFans fireman out. And if he does come out, Carl, I hate to disappoint you, but if he's in uniform and in that big red van, he's going to be working. He's not going to be doing anything else <laughs> or doing a little bit of moonlighting on there. So it's not worth it. Keep the matches in the drawer, Carl. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got another story here. Uh, Britain's biggest gas supplier uh, is ripping off Britain's. It has been announced here. What a shocker this is. Is, uh, oh, as it announces, 28 billion profit. Now that's profit. That's after tax, after everything else has been paid. 28 billion. The oil and gas producer Equinor provides just over a quarter of Britain's gas, accused of ripping people off. 28 billion in 2023, owned by the Norwegian state. There's another uh, a kick in the teeth there. Not only are they ripping off Britain's big quarter of the gas supply, but they're also owned by Norway. So a lot of this money's filtering its way back over to uh, Scandinavia now. And it also comes uh, just a day after oil giant BP announces profits of more than one billion a month for 2023. So it's not just one company. Um, it's an absolute insult when people are struggling. This poverty gap is just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, people are struggling to pay their energy bills. But don't worry, they're making billions and still they're mm -hmm. pleading poverty. Oh, it's so bad for them. They're, they're just not making as many billions as they could, Rick. You know, should we get yeah. the violins out for 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 Reed. BP and and what is it? What are they called? Equi Equinor. 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 Oh, poor old Equinor. They're not making mm. as many billions as they might and ripping us all off. We can't even begin to comprehend the amount of money these guys are making. You know, if we're paid, you know, if we were paid a million quid for a year, we would be thinking, you know, it's like lottery wins for us. But when you think about what they're making, listen to this: Equinor, which is owned by the Norwegian state, said. On Wednesday, which was yesterday, that it's fourth quarter earnings, fourth quarter, that's 12 weeks, not like fell to seven billion. Oh, the, seven billion from sack, 13. Sack whoever is running it. Just, just, I'm just, telling just, you, just, it's just not enough money, Rick. They, they must be billion. really disappointed. Uh, somebody is going to be sacked because they have lost too much billions there. Uh, you know, well, they're, it's, it's they're down from right. thirteen. They're down from thirteen yeah. billion to seven to seven billion in a quarter, not a year, a quarter. That's three months. That's twelve to thirteen weeks. They're making seven billion due to lower gas prices. Uh, then it goes on to say the oil fields should produce around 300 billion barrels of oil. So they're talking about oil here as well, moaning about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the company actually following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it said the company reported annual earnings of 62 billion on last year. So, you know, war, they say, you know that old song, war, what yeah. is it good for? Absolutely nothing. That doesn't apply to energy providers and oil providers. It's very good for business and arms suppliers and, and politicians. That you'll be really happy on. to know as well that the UK government are giving um, Equinor a tax break of three billion pound as well. So uh, on top of that, that's because uh, they have go got the go ahead in September to develop the Rosebank field in the North Sea. Uh, and it doesn't matter that they'll be making billions from it. 
the uh, UK government will award them three billion in order for them to actually do that and make more money. Uh, and if you want to add insult into injury, that's as bad as it gets, I think. It is. It's uh, really, really bad. So it's uh, bad for us, the consumers, but obviously it's not so bad for Equinor or the like of BP British Petroleum. And, you know, despite all that, just stop oil throwing orange paint on statues and, you know, jumping on snooker tables and throwing orange talc around, you know, there's BP are still coining it. They're still coining it. And they say there's no such thing as bad publicity. Maybe it's just drawing even more attention to big oil companies as they sit. Yeah. You talk about Jupiter's delight with people that maybe commit murders, get away with it, they smirk a lot. Can you imagine what it must be like, Natalie, in the boardrooms of those companies of Equinor or BP when all the fat cats sit around the table at the end of They're the laughing. year and they say they want to get rid of cars, they want to get rid of petrol engines, they want to get rid of oil, they're protesting against us and then they whip out the balance sheet and said, but we still made 12 billion quid last year, laughing all the way to the bank. That's what they're doing now. Like they laugh while we get poor and people like Just Stop Oil are uh, performing a nonsense service, or if it is even a service to uh, the UK. Yeah. So what a crazy world we're living in. We are. And uh, there's another uh, story here about prices rising. Uh, so the UK cattle herd is at a 73 year low, but retail beef prices are at record high. Uh, so Zero Hedge have uh, reported on this and they're calling it beefflation rather than inflation. Mm -hmm. So what's this about beefflation, Rick? Well, you know, there's a, people are asking the questions, well, if the Tories are saying that inflation's coming down, that means my shopping basket should be getting cheaper every week or every month or every year. But of course, it's not the case. Uh, so their, their idea of what inflation is does not exactly translate to you and I going to the supermarket and filling our trolley full of meat or vegetables or whatever it happens to be. So the US cattle herd uh, is at a 73-year low as beef uh, hits record highs. And it's just a simple case of supply and demand. Not like if there's less of something... And more, and the same amount of people or more still want it, it's going to drive up price. If uh, there's more of something, so if the beef herd increases and the same amount or less people want it, then it's going to put the prices down. So what we're seeing here is uh, that they're talking of culling of herds as well. Obviously, in Ireland, they want to get rid of two hundred thousand cattle. They're talking about banning, you know, cows because of methane emissions. What will that do aside from kill the animals? It'll make the scarcity higher for stuff like meat, yeah. which will push the prices up even higher. And people are already struggling to afford good quality meat at the minute. Uh, I advise going to a local butcher or a local farm shop. You'll get the best quality in there and they'll tend to be cheaper than the supermarkets, not more expensive in many cases of the places where I live. So it's another way for people to squeeze us. And I do believe, well, I'm a unashamed carnivore. I love uh, steak and you know beef and all that sort of thing. So it would be uh, not so good for me uh, to see a scarcity of meat or the prices double over the next 12 months. I, I actually uh, went uh, uh, to where close do I live uh, to get some beef yesterday just uh, for a stir fry and I couldn't believe that 250 grams in Waitrose was nearly £5 uh, and I was able to go to the, I just thought I'm not even considering buying that and not buying, I don't always go to Waitrose by the way people but I couldn't believe their prices so I went to the butcher and uh, it was unbelievably cheaper for better meat quality at the butcher so it really is worth shopping around at the moment but the prices of meat really are going up and, and it's easy now for uh, just the normal person to see when you go to the supermarkets the price is uh, sky high at the moment rick 
And also, uh, if you are buying meat, don't always think that, you, you know, the, the most expensive cut is not necessarily the most flavoursome. So a lot of people think, you know, fillet steak, or sirloin steak is the best you can get up for a, a slightly, slightly cheaper cut, like a chump steak, or some people call it rum steak. It's as tasty, as delicious as sirloin, but it's about a fraction of the price. Uh, and if you can go to farm shops as well, sometimes they do wholesale prices where they'll actually uh, sell you stuff the same price they would sell it to a butcher's and then obviously they make a markup on it. So local farm shops are good. And if you get to know them and if you're loyal there, uh, you'll get good prices as well. So it's worth uh, making that little trip out of town sometimes, Natalie, uh, just to and, save a few quid and, of course, support them and what they're And doing. some of those um, local businesses as well uh, will also do like freezer delivery. So if you mm -hmm. want the cheapest way you can get them, if you uh, go in and see them, they'll uh, do you a massive discount for, the, for it to be put straight in your freezer. So if you can afford to do that, that's also the best way to go. But we have reached the end of the show somehow already gone an hour uh i'm sad to go but i've got lots to do today but um i will carry on listening to rick uh, for locked and loaded for the next hour and i will be back tomorrow at 9 a.m uh, i've been natalie chill this has been open line you go out and have a great day everyone and i can't not say bye -bye. <laughs>